the message that I'm going to speak is very hard to speak because I had to deal with my issues first. Uh, the title, it's Crying Time Again. I got it from uh, the late Ray Charles. I'm going to say a couple uh, lines to his song. I changed one lyric. And it's going to be as God is speaking to you and I. It's crying time again. Oh, it's crying time again. You're going to leave me. I can see that faraway look in your eyes. I can tell by the way you hold me, my child, that it won't be long before it's crying time. Now they say that absence makes the heart grow fonder and that tears are only rain to make love grow. You know, I know it's a secular song, but how many know when God's in it, he turn, changes it around? And the way I looked at it was God was telling us, it's time for you to cry. It's time for you to come to my altar, to come to my throne. You know, then I started to think, as Americans, Americans, we love routines, don't we? I mean, even at work, we'll have certain routines that we always will we'll get a cup of coffee, we'll go to our station, whatever the case may be. We have routines. We have routines when we get home. We also have routines in the church. Now, some routines are good, but some are not so good. And we've got to learn to break routines within our life. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to the book of 1 Kings chapter 18. And I, I just pray that you will receive what God has laid upon my heart because God has been dealing with me for weeks now, even before pastor told me. First Kings, I brought my little spray just in case. And I gave it to my daughter, so pray for her. First Kings, chapter 18, we're going to begin in verse 14. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here. He will kill me. Then Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have. In that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. See, Elijah here calls for a meeting with the king Ahab. He was a wicked king. And then he says, because of the sins of Ahab and the nation of Israel, there had been a three and a half year drought. See, they were caught up in a routine, a routine of sin. See, I, there was a farmer one time, he was standing there and he was looking at his cows. His son came up and the farmer said, you know what, there's a problem with these cows. They never stay milked. And see, that's what was happening with the Israelites. They were caught up in the routine of sin. They kept milking that cow, kept milking the cow of sin. And if we look at our own lives, is there a cow that we're milking? Is there sin that we're still milking within our lives? See, the Bible said that there was a drought, a drought. Somebody say drought. How many know we know about drought? It means dryness, emptiness, famine, desolation, destruction, death. 
I believe someone here today feels dry. Somebody here today feels empty. You could be in a crowded room. You can be around family, but you still feel empty. There's still a drought happening within your life. See, Ahab, the king of Israel, meets Elijah with these words. Is that you, O troubler of Israel? Now, that word trouble means to stir up, to disturb, or to agitate, to afflict with pain or discomfort, to cause mental agitation or distress. See, that shows us how far Israel had fallen. Israel was the apple of God's eye, but they they fell away from God's divine presence and his divine calling within their lives. And that's what happens when there's a drought. I'm not talking about a natural drought. I'm talking about a spiritual drought. See, this king was supposed to raise the standard and lead Israel into their divine destiny, but he didn't. See, he was supposed to raise the standard and lead them. But he was so backslidden in his heart that Elijah's Elijah's lifestyle of commitment and consecration disturbed him. It agitated him. He hated it. He couldn't stand to see somebody that was committed to God. He was living a consecrated holy life. And let me tell you, if you're living a consecrated holy life, not everybody's going to like you. I know, we're supposed to be out of Thanksgiving, right? (laughs) But this is how we're giving thanks to God. You'll see. You'll see. See, sometimes you're going to be viewed, even in your own family, as a troublemaker because you stand for the truth. You stand for what's right. Are you with me? See, a lot of people think you're troubled because they're satisfied just to live around the altar, not to be at the altar just to live around it. They're satisfied to be religious. They're satisfied to look the part and sound the part. But when you break routine and you begin to seek God, things begin to happen. When when you choose to live on the altar, then people don't like it. People are going to look down at you. Are you with me? Because it upsets the world system. Everything's different. You begin to disturb people. You begin to agitate people. Do you remember your life before you got saved and somebody would try to share the gospel with you? You didn't like it. I I know I didn't like it. They would come and hit streets, and I'd hear people talking about Jesus. I don't want nothing to do with that. Get away from me, man. Go find somebody who needs God. I don't need God. I got my God. Because I didn't care. I I was negative. Are you with me? I thought I knew, you know, what's going on. You remember how that was? You would get mad. Even today, we go out to the streets and we see people that are lost and hurting, and they need God. They need to come in the home. They're out there freezing, and they won't go to the home because they don't want to deal with God. And they get mad. They get mad. It's so sad. And we're trying to bring them in the home. We're trying to say, no, you don't have to live in this bridge. It's too cold. How can you live like this? Well, that's good enough for me because they're being lied to. But see, because it's role reversal for you and I because God has raised the standard in our lives. Our job is to lead people into their divine destiny. That's what you and I are called to do. Whether they reject us or they don't reject us, it doesn't matter. We don't stop. We keep trying and trying and trying. In Romans 12, 1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That word beseech is a call to action. That's what it is. It's a call to attention. Here I am, sir, let's roll. It's a call to action. Paul knew that. He was using military terms of that day. He's saying, you better get ready. This is, your, this is what you're called to do. Are you with me? See, Elijah called the nation of Israel back to the altar. That's what he was doing that day. He was calling them back to the altar. And see, that's what, we're, that's what God wants from us. You know, we have Thanksgiving, we have family, we've got Christmas coming up. But what God wants, he wants us back at the altar. It's crying time again. We've got to get back at the altar. That's what it's all about. See, when you look at Elijah, he's not known as a great preacher. But when the Bible shines a spotlight on his life, what is he doing? He has his head and his face in the ground praying. He's getting a hold of God. That's what it looks like. See, he shows us what the altar looks like. The greatest need for our generation is to rebuild that altar. It's, it's a meeting place with God. It's where you and I climb Mount Moriah and give all our eyes up to God. Moriah means chosen by Jehovah. In other words, the altar is chosen for each and every one of us. God has chosen us to deal with these issues and quit milking the cow and come to the altar and get rid of all this stuff that's hanging on and keeping us from the altar of God, keeping us from the presence of God. Are you with me? It's a place of sacrifice. It's a place of death to self, a place of consecration. It's a place where we wrestle with God for a changed life. If we never come to the altar, we're not going to change. We could go through the motions of church. We can do that. We can even read the Bible. But if it's not in us, if it's not birthed at the altar, it's not going to change our lives. See, this is the place where Jacob, the deceiver, the liar, he dies, and Israel is born, the prince of power. Elijah took 12 stones representing the 12 tribes. 12 is a divine order, a divine government. He was building a picture of Israel back under God's divine government. In other words, living according to his word. Not where man would serve kings, but man would serve the king of kings. He rebuilt the altar. He knew that if he brought Israel back to the altar and the altar back to Israel, then he could bring Israel back to God. And that's what God wants to do with us here today. He wants to bring us back to God. It's crying time. In Malachi, chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Verse 7. I'm just going to say one part of it. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Now, I was looking up this word return, and in the Hebrew, it's the word shub. Shub up up. No, I'm just kidding. Shub. What it means is to turn back and away to turn back and away. In other words, to turn back to God and away from sin. Turn back to God and away from sin. Stop milking the cow. See, the greatest structure that we could ever build is an altar. It's not a building, but we've got to build the altar. In every city, every, every church, every home, it should have an altar. Are you with me? Because when you build an altar... 
No terrorist could destroy it. No devil could destroy it. No situation could destroy it. Because you've built it unto God. Israel's altar was torn down through neglect, decay, and rejection. That's what will tear down your altar. If you begin to neglect the things of God, you begin to let it decay, and you reject the things of God. That's what tears down your altar. That's what messes you up. We wonder why people backslide. It's because they've neglected the altar of God within their life. I'm not talking about just coming to church on Sunday and hitting the altar. No, I'm talking about a daily process we must go through. Every day we should have an altar at our house. Every evening, every night, whenever we get an opportunity, have that altar. It's not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. Sorry. (laughs) I'm getting excited over here. See, Israel, and here's the problem, they wanted a more comfortable way. They wanted a less painful way. But let me tell you, only humble people can pray. Only hungry people. Only weak people can pray. Only poor people can pray. Only helpless people can pray. Only needy people can pray. Only people that are willing to admit that they need help can pray. If you think you got all that and you're a bag of chips and you don't need to pray, you're good. But you ain't got no altar. You ain't got no power. When the trials come, you're not going to make it. That's how you can tell, like these sweet women that came up here today, though they got altars. (laughs) They got altars. They've had altars for years. They may be a low key, but boy, they're at their altar every day. They're praying for you and me. They're praying for this city. They're praying for their families. They're getting down at their altar. You walk in, I've walked in Sister Irma's house. I felt the anointing. Ooh, come on. Because she has an altar. She has an altar. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. You know, I know there's some wicked things happening in the world. There's some crazy stuff, evil things happening all over the world. There's gross and horrible things being done, even to children overseas. A lot of craziness going on. I remember being in Manila, man, they they would have pedophile tours coming from Australia. If there's anybody from Australia, I don't want to offend you. But they have tours on busloads of them. And they go to Lynetta Park and they pick out the kids because they're all homeless. They all live in the park at night. And they go out there, six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old kids. They take them to the hotel. They give them money. They feed them. And they have sex with them. And nobody does anything. Nobody does anything. That's happening all over the world. When our, our, When is our people going to humble ourselves and begin to get a hold of God, build an altar, and make a difference in the world. Wicked things. Look what's happening in Syria. You see the picture of the kids? They don't deserve that. They don't deserve that. I seen a a video on Facebook the other day, yesterday in fact, a, a year in the life of a child in Syria. Horrible. Starts with a birthday party. Did you see that? Horrible. Who's going to do something about that? Who's going to make a difference within their lives? It's got to be us, church. 
That's why United We Can works. Because we go places where no one else will go. How much price can you put on a soul? At least a dollar a day. At least. That's nothing for us. See, wickedness, evil, and darkness belong to the world. They're sinners by nature. But God is not speaking to them. He's speaking to the church. He says, my people. He's speaking to us. Those who identify themselves with Christ and go by his name. Are you with me? God says, if my people will humble themselves and pray, if my people will repent, and if my people will turn from their wicked ways. Talking about the church. He's talking about us. See, we try to judge sin. Oh, that's a big sin, little sin. No, it's milking the cow. It's milking the cow. Who are we to justify what we're doing? Revival doesn't come to deliver us from sin, my friend. Revival comes because we have been delivered from sin. In other words, revival comes because we have repented. When we begin to repent, look what happened in Nineveh. They repented. Even the animals repented. Revival came. When we learn to repent, revival will come. See, this is when we've tore down the idols of our hearts and circumcised our hearts before God. We've hated sin and we begin to love righteousness. We have Shub working in our life. We turn away from sin turn back to God. So look at your neighbor and say, do you shoot? Or tell God, I want to shoot. Second Chronicles chapter 6. We're going to read 26 and 27. Are you guys with me today? When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, when they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflicted them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk and send rain on your land which you have given to your people as an inheritance. Now, on Elijah's altar, the stones were whole stones. No tool had touched them because that would pollute the altar before God. It says in Exodus 20, 25, And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of cut stone. For if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. This speaks of two things. Number one, it speaks of self-effort. Or in other words, the activity of the flesh. I want to tell you today, no flesh, no talent, no skill, no ability is ever a substitute for the anointing of God. I don't care how good you can sing, how good you can preach. I don't care how good you look. It doesn't matter. If you don't have the anointing of God upon your life, it's nothing. It's nothing. And if you want the anointing, you better hit the altar. Secondly, God doesn't want fragments of our life. Fragment is a small, broken, incomplete part. He wants your whole life. 
He doesn't want bits and pieces and chunks. No, he wants the whole thing. He wants your life. He gave his life for you. He didn't give a part of his life. He didn't get to the cross and say, well, I don't think, that's too big. I'm not going to hit the cross, man. I took the whooping. I'm going to take that. But I ain't going to the cross. No, he gave his whole life for you and I. We're getting ready to celebrate his birth. Don't forget why he came. He was born to die. He knew why he came. There was no confusion there. He knew when he was 12 years old, he opened up Isaiah, and he he read about himself hanging on a cross. He knew that was him at 12 years old. He was ready for it. He said, it doesn't matter because I've learned to build an altar in my life. I'm going to do whatever God calls me to do. I'm not going to give part. I'm giving it all. See, Elijah said, I will dress the other bull. I will present as God has required. Contrary to public and popular opinion, God doesn't accept any old sacrifice. You can't just give God anything. See, God will not accept what is not proper. David understood that. He says, I will not give to God something that doesn't cost me anything. He understood that. He was a man after God's own heart. Romans 12.1 says, Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That word present is a Greek word, parastimi. It's a temple term. In other words, when they would present the offering to the priest at the altar, they wouldn't go like this and the priest take it. No, they put their hand like this. They drop it and they take their hands off it. That's what it means to present your life to God, that you take your hands off, and you allow God to do whatever he wants. It doesn't matter. He wants to send you here, you go there. It doesn't matter what God wants to do in your life because you've learned to present your life to God as an acceptable offering. I take my hands off. I don't want to defile the offering, God. I don't want to defile myself. I've learned to live on the altar. I give you my life. Use it. Do whatever you want in my life. In Psalms 51, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. It's crying time again. It's crying time. See, Elijah called for an investment of the people. If you don't ever make an investment in anything, you don't care about it. Where your heart is, there's your treasure also. Pursuit is the proof of desire. What are you pursuing? What are you pursuing? If you really want something, you spend time pursuing it. If you want God, you're going to spend time on your face. You're going to spend time at the altar. How many are married? Well, do you remember when you were courting your wife? You were in full pursuit. I remember when I was doing it. I was, believe me, I was in full pursuit, but I had parameters. How many know we got parameters, guys? Be careful. Stay within the parameters of God. Don't just start pursuing and get in trouble. No. Be accountable. And I was accountable. But Pastor Steve, I like her. (laughs) You know what he said? Wait. Okay. (laughs) But then Pastor Josie said, go for it. (laughs) So I was kind of like torn. I didn't know. Should I halfway go for it, or should I go for it? (laughs) Thank God for leaders, amen. But the thing is, 
you pursue whatever you love. If you really love God, you're going to pursue God. You're not going to play games with God. You're going to pursue God with all your heart, all your strength, all your might. That's what you pursue. See, you know the importance of something by the time you're willing to give to it. If you're only giving time to God when you come on Sunday or maybe Thursday night, you okay, you come to church, that's great. That's, you know, do that. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm glad you're here. But there's more to it. There's more to it. I mean, if you want to stop milking the cow of sin, you want to have liberty and freedom within your life, you want to have power in your life, you got to have an altar. you got to pursue God more. Amen? Hope you still love me. How much time do we spend on our face compared to our time on Facebook? Okay, wait, wait, wait. I know this is going on Facebook. I'm wearing my batik from Indonesia, if you're wondering. You know, we, we live in a generation, if, if our phone goes dead, we don't want to go out. We don't want to do anything. Oh, my God, I can't, oh, I can't connect with nobody. Yeah, you can. Get on your knees. Connect with God. Get on your face. Stay off Facebook. It's okay. Amen? Facebook's no big. Do a five-minute rule. That's what I do. I get out for five minutes, check things out, bad. I'm done. If, if my daughter's having progress, boom, I put it on. That's it. Because Facebook's not a big deal for me. It could be. I remember when I first got out, ooh, ooh I'm going to have friends, yeah. And I said, what am I doing? I don't even know these people. <laughs> They're not my friends. Don't laugh. You're doing it too. How many people like my posts? Ah. Ooh, look how many views. There's only one view that matters. The view of God. The view of God. Man, we live in the information age. We've got to be connected to everything except for the one that matters most. The 12 barrels of water that Elijah put on the altar. I want you to think about this. This was during a time of famine. It was a time of famine. It was a huge sacrifice. The point is, if we really want to experience a move of God, it's going to cost. There will never be fire from heaven without an investment of water. Water is precious in the time of famine. Twelve barrels of water during a drought. Could you imagine what the people were looking at? And they're looking at this guy. Is he nuts? And remember, all these guys were false prophets. And there's a drought in the land. Nobody has water. Man, look, at he's wasting all that water. I can't even water my lawn. And he's pouring all this water out. He dug a trench even so he could get more water in there. What the heck? People were probably dogging him. What's wrong with you, old man? What are you doing? You're wasting water. Haven't you heard about conservation? It's a drought. But he didn't care what people said. See, there's a drought in our land today. And I'm not talking about the natural rain. I'm not talking about I'm talking about the drought of dry eyes. When we come to the altar, man, are we broken before God? Is our hearts broken for God? Or are we just come and going through the motion? Okay, let me go up here. No, okay. It's a thing to do. Let's just follow everybody else. I remember when I was in the home, we had this one guy, bind him up Mike, we called him. He would come to the altar and he'd 
try to get somebody to lay hands on him. He'd go like this. He'd follow Pastor Steve around. And then when nobody would lay hands on him, he'd go like this and slay himself. <laughs> Jose knows he was there. He caught him. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but there was something about that guy. You know, he, he put him in my room because he was a little different, let's just say. And they put him in my room because we lived in uh, back there on Washington Avenue in a convalescent hospital. Awesome home, by the way. Anyway, they put him in my room, and during the summer, he'd be binding flies. Flies. I hate flies. I bind these flies. <laughs> there was no flies in my room. Everybody else had flies. No flies in my room. Pastor Steve used to say it takes all kinds. But I learned a good lesson from him one time. Same guy. We're in Stockton. We're hitting the streets for a shotgun or something. I can't remember. Still in the home. And uh, there was a wino on the ground. Puke all over him. And it was a little chilly. He picks the guy up and he hugs him. And he gave him his coat. And I started crying. I go, man, that's love. I don't care what they say about it. This guy might be a little off, but I ain't got no flies, and this guy knows how to love. <laughs> See, it seems today that many are in a spiritual drought. People don't want to cry anymore. Men, we're taught not to cry. We are. That don't show weakness. Oh, don't let ever, anybody ever see you cry. I see you cry, I'm going to smack you. Or is that just me? That's what we would get. Don't show weakness. Don't show your emotions. And women don't want their makeup to run. <laughs> oh, no, a tear. Give me a tissue, a tissue. We don't want to look undignified. I remember being in the home, man, and I would have a spot that I mokled up. It was just full of mokles and tears. I go, that's my spot. Because I would go to the same spot every day, mokles, and I had one in the home too, one chair that I just wiped out, man. I was always crying on the chair. Why? Because I learned to build an altar. But truth be known, after serving God for a while, sometimes we lose that a little. That's why God was dealing with me. I, I, I stopped learning how to cry. I forgot how to cry. Oh, I've been around a long time. Shut up. God's been around longer. See, here's the thing. Fire will fall when the wood is wet. Elijah had, had them dig a big trench around the altar. If we're going to see the power of God manifest... There's got to be more work at the altar. There's got to be more work at the altar. He dug a trench. Prayer is hard work. It's hard on the flesh. It's hard on the pride. It's hard on the carnal mind. The scripture said he made a trench around the altar. See, then as the water covered the altar, the sacrifice and the sacrifice, it began to fill the trench. What this is speaking of is a deep work of the Holy Spirit. Water represents the Spirit. 
So it's more than a touch. It's speaking of transformation and saturation of the Word of God within our lives. Not just reading it, but letting it saturate and saturate and saturate. Are you with me? You can't just hear the Word preached. Anybody can hear it and know it and not even live by it. It's easy. you got to let it soak into your life. It's got to break up that hardened heart. It's got to come in and do what it has to do and germinate everything that God's trying to do within our lives. See, after Elijah had done all he could do from the earth side, he calls on God. Not just any God, but the God who answers by fire. And suddenly the fire of God fell. See, the fire consumed the sacrifice. It consumed the altar, the stones of the altar. It licked up the water in the trench and even licked up the dust. See, the fire of God falls on a praying church. If we want the fire in our church, we want the fire in the streets, in the city, then we've got to become a praying church. If we don't have revival here, it'll never happen out there. The most beautiful sound of God's ears is not a preacher preaching. It's not a singer singing. It's the sound of the church praying. It's the sound of the church getting a hold of him and loving on him and being thankful to him and grateful to him. That's what God likes to hear. There's something powerful about a church in prayer. In all her weakness, with all the pride laid aside, when when the church like Elijah bows down and begins to pray, something begins to happen in the spirit realm. There's something powerful about a church in prayer. You know what happens? Hell goes on high alert. Demons begin to shake. Chains start breaking. Yokes are destroyed. People are delivered and set free because God loves a praying church. When we begin to pray, we begin to weep at the altar. The hand of God begins to move in our situation. It begins to move in our city, in the nations of the world. That's what United We Can is all about. we got to get in our face before God. Zechariah 12.10 says this, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. The context of the scripture is the destruction and devastation of Jerusalem due to sin, milking the cow. But Zechariah also speaks of God's grace in his praying people that opened the door for Jesus to be born, the first advent, and it also speaks to you and I as we pray for the second coming of Christ, where his grace will be poured out on all flesh. Are you with me? It's crying time again. And I wonder as I'm closing, as the team comes, is there anyone here who would be honest enough to admit, I've been in a drought? I've been in a drought. My eyes have been dry too long. My heart's been hardened too long. Now let me get real personal. Is there anybody here that would admit you need a move of God within your life? I know I do. My family does. See, we need to get back to the altar. We need to repent. We need to get that sin out of our lives. We need to rebuild the altars within our life. We need revival. We need some people here who know what it is to pray in the Spirit, who knows what it is to get a hold of God and cry out to God for rain. See, your tears move the hand of God. They're saved in a bottle, the Bible says. 
See, we need some women who don't care if your makeup runs or your hair gets tossed up or your clothes get wrinkled. We need some people who aren't ashamed of groaning in the Spirit, who are letting the Spirit make intercession through you. We need some people that refuse to let drugs and alcohol destroy our children. We need some people that care. We need some people that intercede for our children, our grandchildren, our church, our city, our nation, the world. We need people who aren't afraid to get on their face. Can someone lift your voice and cry out for rain? Before the rain fell on from the sky on Israel's drought, the rain of tears fell from their eyes. All over this house, present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Take your hands off. See, that word present is the same Greek word used in Luke 2.22. The moment that Jesus' parents presented baby Jesus to God in the temple of Jerusalem, same word. It was a holy moment. It was a serious moment. It was a historical moment. It's surrendering all that we are, all that we become under God's supervision. It's making a pledge to God. This is a holy moment right now. This is not something you take lightly. And as we make this altar call, I don't want you just running up. No. This is for people that really need God. People that say, I, I need to have the Holy Spirit moving in my family. I need the Holy Spirit saving my, my friends, my family. I, I need a move of God. I need God to break the heart, to break my heart. I need God to do something special today. It's making a pledge that we're His, and He can use us any way He wants to. Will you come to the altar this afternoon as we all stand and present yourself to God? It's time to shoot. Get away from that sin. Come back to God. The altars are open as we do this song. If you're serious, you're serious. I need a move of God. I need a move of God.